I want to take as my text this morning that first reading from the prophet Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 954. Malachi's prophecy, chapter 3, and beginning at verse 6, which I'd like for us to read again. Malachi chapter 3 and beginning at verse 6. In which God, speaking through the prophets, said, For I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore you, O children of Jacob, you, my people, are not consumed. <laughs> because I'm a promise-keeping God, is his point. In verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return, as if to say, oh, where did we go? In verse 8, and God says, will a, a man rob God? This is how you've turned away from me. Will a man rob God, and you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? You've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so today we're wrapping up our annual stewardship series, which this year we've been calling Giving with Confidence. Giving with Confidence. Indeed, not a few people, that is to say for a people, giving is a, a sort of a scary thing, faithful financial stewardship. And so in our series, we've been considering together some of the things that God has to say about giving and why it makes sense for us to set aside fear and start giving to those things that matter to God, and that with faithfulness and confidence. And to that end, this morning I want to talk about giving with confidence, knowing that as a faithful giver, I shall not want, knowing that as a faithful giver, I shall not want. Of course, for many, this is the primary concern that if I was to become, as you say, Scott, a faithful giver, I, I will be in want. And so for many, becoming a faithful giver, or the idea of it seems to them a bad thing, really, rather than a good thing. Interestingly enough, God says just the opposite. Indeed, God says in our text, right off the bat, that to not be a faithful giver is to be cursed. Notice again verses 7 through 9. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. He's giving them a little history. He's saying it, as I look backward, it doesn't look too good. And so he says, return to me, or we might say, repent, change your mind, and turn to God. And if you do this, the Lord says, and I will turn to you. As James says in his letter, draw nigh to God and God will draw nigh to you. 
But the people said, well, how shall we return? We're here. And then God brings up this subject. He says, will a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, Lord? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. Verse 9, and God says, and you are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me. <laughs> the whole nation of you, speaking, of course, of Israel, God's chosen people. And so the idea of being cursed for not being a faithful giver, it seems a, a sort of a counter intuitive idea, at least for most people. Indeed, those who are not faithful givers don't, don't feel cursed, even if God says they are. And notwithstanding the readiness of most religious people to quote Jesus, you know, <laughs> it's more blessed to give than to receive. Most really believe that it's more blessed to keep what they have. And for those who do give, at least something, the standard by which they determine what they give is by and large not a biblical standard, but instead whatever they think that they can comfortably manage without perhaps threatening what they think they need in order to maintain a general feeling of financial security. That is, giving without sacrifice. Francis Chan wrote this. He said, lukewarm Christians give money to charity and to the church. <laughs> Just so long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, and then he says tongue in cheek, <laughs> God loves a cheerful giver, right? And so this is why few Christians actually practice the tithe. I think the last time I looked at it, the average evangelical Christian who would be perhaps more uh, enthusiastic, a group of Christian people in America that would be more enthusiastic about giving and doing the tithe than others, actually on average only give 4% of their income, which is less than half a tithe. And so few Christians practice the tithe. Indeed, for most, perhaps committing 10% to God seems too risky. But however risky it may seem, the tithe is a biblical standard. And for those who like to say that the tithe is, you know, a law principle, uh, that, uh, you know, that Christians are no longer under the law and therefore Christians are no longer responsible for the tithe, the, the truth is, is that the tithe is not a law principle per se. In fact, the, the tithe precedes Moses and the law by some 400 years. In fact, I think in every talk this, during this series, we've mentioned the vow of Jacob, which happened some 400 years before Moses. Jacob didn't even know who Moses was. But this is what he said, and this is what we read in Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 20. And then Jacob made a vow. He made a promise. He made a pledge. <laughs> He said, if God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, if he will be with me in my life and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, then the Lord will be, Yahweh will be, he'll be my God. And of all that you give me, Lord, Jacob says, I will give a full tenth to you. 
And so the tithe isn't a law principle, and it predates the law, it predates Moses. Indeed, the tithe is a spiritual principle that, if you, you might have noticed, is grounded in relationship. Indeed, notice again what, what, what we read of Jacob and what Jacob said. If God will be with me, that's a relationship. And if he'll keep me in this way that I go and give me the bread I need to eat and the clothing I need to wear, then the Lord shall be my God, my God. <laughs> and of all that you give me, Lord, all that you give me from everything that I have comes from your hand. Everything that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And so tithing is about relationship. about loving God more than money, about having a spiritual discipline that you and I can practice that allows us to prove to both God and ourselves that I do love God more <laughs> than my money. In fact, it was Jesus who famously said, and as it's recorded in Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus himself, whom you call Lord... <laughs> whom I call Lord, he said, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. <laughs> That's what we want to do. I want to serve God, and I want to serve my money. And Jesus says, no, you, you can't do that. You're going to have to choose. And you do choose, no matter what you say with your words. All of us choose between God and the money. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says it as clearly as he can say it. You cannot serve both God and money. You must choose. Money will be your God, <laughs> or God will be your God. And either God will determine, your relationship with him will determine your relationship with money, or your relationship with money will, will determine your relationship with him. And the curse of failing to de be devoted relative to the, to the tithe with regards to God is found in the fact that God expects it <laughs> from us. Indeed, God considers, if you look at the language here, God considers the tithe to be his. <laughs> and so when we withhold it, God describes us as thieves and, as him, and himself as robbed. <laughs> Notice again verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? You're robbing me, he says. But you say, oh, that can't be right, Lord. How have we robbed you? And then he gives his answer. In your tithes and contributions. You were cursed with a curse for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. And so to not be a faithful giver, God says, is a curse. But then in stark contrast, God says that to be a faithful giver is a blessing. Notice verse 10. Bring the full tithe in. God is saying, let's get this thing all straightened out. I just told you about what you've been doing in the past. Forget about that. Return to me and I will return to you. How? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The things that we need in order to worship at the temple 
under the old covenant. And thereby, by doing this, by doing what I'm telling you, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down to you a blessing until there is no more need. No need. No need. And so faithful giving begins with the tithe. Indeed, the tithe isn't a suggestion. It isn't even an option where we might be tempted to imagine that there, you know, there's faithful believers who tithe and there's faithful believers who don't. <laughs> the tithe is a divine directive from God. Bring the full tithe in, God says. And there isn't anything faithful about disobeying God. But in addition to all of this, God says that being faithful with the tithe is this great, huge blessing. <laughs> and I know that to not for, for not a few people, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine, perhaps, especially if money is a scary subject for you and you've never been committed to this kind of spiritual discipline. That it's hard to imagine that, uh, that this kind of commitment, the tithe, could how could it possibly be a great, huge blessing? But even if we should doubt that it could be, God challenges you and challenges me to trust Him. Trust me with it. Obey me. Commit to the tithe and, and practice it. Even God says, put me to the test. And when you put me to the test, you're going to discover something. If you do this, you will discover that my promise is true. You will discover that the tithe is a huge, great blessing to you. And you will discover that those who give faithfully want for nothing. You talk to somebody who is a, is a faithful, proportionate, percentage giver, and you will find someone who says, I, I, I can't do anything with that money. It would burn a hole in my pot. It would make me miserable to keep God's money. And then they will tell you stories about how, you know, I didn't know if we were going to be able to make... I, look, this is the only story I hear. This is the only story I ever hear. There isn't any other story. Yeah, well, I decided to be faithful to God, and it was all downhill from there. I've never heard that story. It's only ever, we didn't know. These are the kinds of stories. We just lost our jobs. But we decided to be true to God. Those are the kind of stories that I hear on a fairly regular basis. And then God provided, he provided better jobs. Oh, well, that sounds like he's opening the windows of heaven. And you stepped out. He said, he comes to you walking on the water. And he says, come on out. <laughs> it's beautiful. And you step out. And you find out, as Peter did, even though it was just a little while, that when you're walking on the water with God, <laughs> you can walk on the water. But you can't walk on the water if you never get out of the boat. Notice verse 10 again. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. 
that there may be food in my house. We'll get done what I want to get done, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 put it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Isn't that great? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Here it is, Lord, just like you asked. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And I know that uh, for some of you committing to the tithe, you're not committed to it now, but maybe today you will. It will be a huge, great leap of faith, as it oftentimes is. But I don't, I, I know some clergy don't like talking about it because it's, a, it's an idol in people's lives and they don't like to make people mad. Well, I may make some people mad, but... The reason why I don't mind talking about it is because it is a huge, great blessing. And I know that by experience. Linda and I are committed to 10% to the church and then another 5% to organizations that provide for people in various different types of need. And doing so is a great, huge blessing. <laughs> Sometimes between the 1st and the 15th, I kind of have to shift things around. <laughs> but we get it done. And God seems to provide. I, I possess more than actually I can afford. Not because I'm in debt. <laughs> but because these other things come from somewhere else. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24 says this, it's ironically. It says, one gives freely who grows all the richer. <laughs> you wouldn't do, well, if you're going to be rich, you take it all in. And Proverbs, God says through Proverbs, one freely gives and grows all the richer, while another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. The only people I have I, I hear complaining about money who are people who don't honor God with their money. Well, <laughs> how interesting. I've always loved what St. John of the Cross famously said. He said, all good things come to me now that I no longer seek them <laughs> for myself. Isn't that great? All good things come to me since I no longer seek them for myself. And that's how things work with God. Giving is more a blessing than keeping, and God honors those who honor Him. He's promised it. He's promised it. In fact, His, his reputation is on the line. If God doesn't keep His promises, what does that say about God? When you read in the Psalms, and I go through the Psalms regularly, Psalms and then Proverbs, and Psalms and then Proverbs. When I'm doing the daily offices, of course, you always do the Psalms. But a common theme in the Psalms is, Lord, don't let me be ashamed. Lord, don't let me be ashamed for trusting in you. And then the psalmist will say, 
And I was surrounded by my enemies. But God heard my prayer. <laughs> and the psalmist is never ashamed. Never. Because <laughs> God is God. We're created in His image and likeness to have fellowship with Him. In fact, we're never more truly human than when we know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and are reunited with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And part of the nature of that relationship is that God asks us for a little something. And we give Him a little something. And He says, thank you for trusting me. Speaking of the Psalter, David said this famously. David, in Psalm 37 and verse 25, he said... I have been young and now I'm old. He's saying, I've lived the whole of my life and let me tell you an observation that I am making. I have been young and now I'm old and yet I have never, <laughs> never seen the righteous forsaken. Are there children begging for bread? But of course, you must decide because no one else can decide for you whether money will be your God or whether God will be your God or whether or not your God is worthy of your love and your trust and your obedience. Giving with confidence, knowing that as a faithful giver, I shall not want. Amen? Let us pray. It seems such a good deal to me, Lord. <laughs> you ask a little bit, and we give it, and then you mess it all up because we think we're making a sacrifice, and then you just, like a spoiling father, it would seem, you just provide this and you provide that and you provide this and you provide that and you favor us in this way and favor us in another. And then you give us faith and you grace us with what we need to get through our trials. And it's just you're with us and we know it. It's just all a blessing. But we can't experience that if we don't get out of the boat. We can't experience it if we don't give you what you want. We can't experience it if we won't trust you more than we trust other things in the world that can be taken from us in a moment. And yet you are the one thing that we can never lose. And so I suspect that you're working on people's hearts even as you continue to work on mine. As you continue to say, give more, give more. Here's another opportunity to be blessed because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's just a way of life. <laughs> it's your way of life, Lord. You're a giver. And we're never more like you than when we're giving. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would just liberate us and free us to release as a friend of mine said, you, you can't receive anything when your hands are clutched. You have to open them up. You have to open them up. And then you're ready to receive. And so, Lord, bless us and make us a blessing to you and a blessing to each other, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen.